said, isn't it amazing? Isn't it wonderful that we serve a God who's mighty to save? All right, all right, all right. We serve a God who's mighty to save. We, we serve a God who's strong enough, who's capable, and who desires to save even the worst of us. Our God is mighty to save the prostitute. He's mighty to save the drunk. He's mighty to save the drug addict. He's mighty to save the liar. He's mighty to save the one who's angry. He's mighty to save the one who's lost, the one in despair, the one who's diseased, the one who's forgotten, the one who's forbidden. He's mighty to save the one who's walked away, the one who's heard the message and turned away. He's mighty to save you, and He's mighty to save me. That's the God we serve. That's who we're here to worship today, a God who's mighty to save. He's mighty, mighty to save. Amen. That's our God. That's who He is. I just want to remind you all what you were singing about and who that God is, all right? I want to invite our kids up here. We're going to do our children's sermon. If you're a child, you come on up here and have a seat. Man, I wish, I wish all of us were that excited to worship. You know what I'm saying? You guys doing okay today? Do you believe that our God is mighty to save? Well, I have a special story for you today. And somebody is supposed to be coming to be a part of this story. Do you hear anything? No? You hear rain? Okay, well, I thought I had a special helper. But things don't always work out the way I want them to. All right, so we're going to punt and we're going to go a different direction today. Would one of you like to be my special helper? You do? Okay, come here. All right, this is what I want you to do, Baja. Come over here for a second. Stand right here. Close your eyes. All right? All right? Now, we're going to turn you around in circles like this. All right? Just like this. All right? Just Okay, this is a good spot. Okay. Now, I want you to keep your eyes closed, and I want you to go back over to where we were all sitting, but you got to keep your eyes closed. Don't open them. How's it going, everybody? I should have put a helmet on him. Oh, wait. Stop right here, Baja. Keep your eyes closed. Keep, you got to keep them closed the whole time, okay? Don't open them. Do you think Abaja needs some help? Could I get two? Let's, Danielle, come here. All right, Danielle, you can be Abaja's helper. He needs a guide, right? He's lost. He doesn't know where he's going. All right, take him by his hand. Keep your eyes closed, Abaja. And then Danielle's going to help you back to your seat, okay? Make sure he doesn't fall or run into anything. Kind of fun? All right, stop right there. You made it right back. Good job. All right, sit down. Okay, you can sit in your spot. You can sit up here. Okay, good job. Danielle, that was wonderful. Now, what was crazy about that? Abijah with his eyes closed, what was the problem with him coming back to where he belonged? He couldn't see where he was supposed to go. 
right? And worst of all, I spun him around in circles and he didn't have any sense of direction. He didn't know where to go. He didn't even know where we were, did he? He was lost. You know what? It's interesting. You know what's really interesting? Is there are people all around you like Abijah, except they're spiritually lost. They don't know about God. And like Abijah, they're kind of wandering around and running into stuff and trying different things because they, they, they want to have peace and joy, but they don't. And so they need somebody to guide them. And you guys know that Jesus is the one that guides us to God, right? The Bible says He's the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through Him. But how are people supposed to hear about Jesus, our guide, our Savior? Who's supposed to tell them? You are. And that's the point of today's message. God puts people in your life so you can tell them about Jesus. Did you know that? All right, there's a special word of the day today. You want to hear it? It's a really interesting word. The word is jailer. Jailer, okay? Someone most of us don't want to meet under certain circumstances. Jailer, all right? All right, you can go back and sit down. Thank you for your help. All right, church, I want to invite you to open up a copy of God's Word with me today and and, uh, turn it to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. When opportunity knocks... Oftentimes in our lives, God brings people and opportunities for us to share the gospel. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Look in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 25. It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. All right, so let me just give you a quick debrief about what just happened to Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas were missionaries. They were on a mission journey called by God's Spirit to go out first, to go to the churches with whom they had shared in the past, and to encourage them. And then then after they had done that, they had sought to go to a couple different places to share the gospel. They were thinking about going into Asia, and they were forbidden, it says, by Jesus to go there. And then they thought about Bithynia, and then they were forbidden to go there. And and then Paul had a vision in the night of a man in a region called Macedonia beckoning him to go to Macedonia to help them. And so Paul and Silas and their new missionary Timothy and Luke, the writer of the the text of the book of Acts, They all go to the region of Macedonia, to a place called Philippi. When they get to Philippi, they go to an area along the river to share the gospel with the Jews that were gathered there for worship on on the Sabbath. When they go, they share the gospel, and there's a woman there named Lydia. She's from Bithynia, and she's a seller of purple cloth. She hears the gospel shared by Paul and the missionaries, and she opens up her heart to it. And it says in the text that her and her whole household believed what they said and were saved. Now after that, Lydia must have been given the spiritual gift of hospitality because she immediately opens up her home to the missionaries who go there and she begs them, if you really believe I'm a Christian, then you're going to come to my house and you're going to stay here. And so 
they are compelled uh, by Lydia and, and obviously felt the call from the Holy Spirit to stay in Philippi. And it says, over the next days, they proceeded to share the gospel. Now, they're sharing the gospel. They're walking through Philippi, sharing people are being saved. Now, after a brief amount of time, there's a, a girl who's um, caught up and, and, and um, sold into slavery that starts to follow them around. And she starts to follow them. She's, um, exer- uh, she's um, indwelled with a, a demon spirit. And so she starts to yell out, uh, these men are from the Most High God. They're telling you a way to be saved. And she does this long enough uh, to annoy Paul, who turns and immediately exercises the demon from this girl, um, which is awesome for her because it's obviously going to change her life miraculously, but bad for her owners because she's no longer able to be used by them for profit. Now, this awesome, miraculous work that Paul did was uh, not very beneficial for him and for Silas because they were immediately took before, taken before the magistrate of Philippi um, with claims that they were um, spreading lies, spreading rumors, costing people money and their livelihood. So they were immediately arrested and thrown into jail, before which they were beaten with rods. So Paul and Silas are now in jail after being beaten with rods, chained up, and preparing um, for what would come next. And that takes us to Acts chapter 16, verse 25. While they were in jail, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So what did Paul and Silas do after submitting to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, sharing the gospel, seeing the church planted and grown, exercising a demon out of a slave girl, and then being beaten with rods and arrested and thrown into jail. What, what did they decide to do? Did they trip over their bottom lip? Did they curse the name of God because obviously he's the one that had them thrown into jail? What did they do? What's the text say? They were praying and singing hymns to God. These guys had some gumption, right? These guys were tough as nails. They didn't whine. They didn't complain. They had a worship service. Just like Peter, who slept peacefully the night before he was supposed to be executed. Paul and Silas are praising God and celebrating what he's done in their lives. They were able to do this because they had hope in a hopeless place. Suddenly, verse 26, There was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself, since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself, because we're all here. All right, so this part of the text gives us some context about what's going to follow. The area around Philippi was known for having earthquakes, but this one was unique. This one happened at just the right time. The prison doors probably had bars that came down to keep them closed. This earthquake jarred those bars and the doors flung open. Everyone's chains came loose. Now, what's interesting is 
The chains were securely fastened to the walls of the jail, and that was not something that readily came loose. But they did. So the prisoners' chains had come loose. All the doors flung open, and it would have been very easy for everybody to run out and to be free. This earthquake also woke up the jailer, who was asleep. When he woke up, he assumed that all the, all the prisoners had flee and run away and prepared to kill himself. Now, the reason is because the jailer was obviously given the authority over the jail, and, and he was responsible for all the prisoners to the degree that if the prisoners were to escape, he himself could be arrested and even executed for his failure to do his duty. And so he was going to take his own life into his own hands rather than put himself at the mercy of the courts for failing to fulfill his duties as the jailer. Paul, from wherever he was in his cell, must have been able to see the jailer. And so he looks down and sees that jailer and calls out to him before he falls on his own sword and tells him, don't kill yourself. We're all still here. And so Paul we want to stop and just think about this for a minute. Paul had been illegally beaten with rods, illegally thrown into jail. He was at this point, at, at this point in time pretty much hated by most of the town of Philippi who had gathered as an angry mob and were the ones that persuaded the magistrate to put him in jail. This same person who endured all of that sees this jailer, the one who's holding him captive, about to kill himself and cries out to him in order to save his life. That's some grace, right? That's some grace from Paul, who could have easily watched that man die, and probably many of us may would have assumed he should die for what he's done to me. But that's not what Paul did. Paul cries out and tells him, we're all here. The text continues in verse 29. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What an interesting twist of events. This jailer, no doubt, had heard the gospel preached from Paul and Silas and Timothy when they were in Philippi at many different venues proclaiming the gospel. I'm sure he was at the illegal mob of people who were crying out and telling the magistrates what Paul was doing and, and what he was saying and what this teaching was. On top of that, this jailer saw Paul and Silas receive a beating with rods and thrown into jail, offering no complaints, no protestation. And then when they were thrown in jail and chained to the wall, he watched them praise their God and sing to Him in worship. Who does that in jail? Who has hope in such a hopeless place? And then on top of that, the jailer's about to kill himself. And this man who he put in jail, who he's guarding, saved his life. There must be something to this God whom they serve. He is mighty to save. 
The question that is brought to my mind when I think of this particular text is, will I endure persecution? Will I sacrifice so the jailer in my life can hear the gospel? Will you suffer persecution? Will you sacrifice in your own life so that the jailer in your life can hear the gospel and be saved? You know, I've seen some of you move and, 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 and be used by God in very unique and special and specific ways in the past. I've seen you come to this altar and come down to your knees and cry out to God for the salvation of a loved one or a friend. I've seen you go to some of the darkest places on this island to share the gospel with a friend, a co-worker, a family member. I've even seen you take the time and use your resources to make sure random people whom you've never met have the chance to hear the gospel and to be saved. Are you willing to follow Jesus into the darkest places? Are you willing to speak the gospel into the darkest hearts? The ones furthest away from God. Who's your jailer? Who's the Macedonian man in your life? Who's the Macedonian woman in your life? Who's the Macedonian child in your life who's crying out to you, come and help me? The world is watching. The world is waiting for hope. Don't you think the world could use a little hope today? Don't you think the world is looking for a little bit of peace today? Don't you think the world is seeking after truth and answers that mean something, that offer real change and joy? What do you think? I think the world is in desperate need of hope and truth. And church, the gospel, that's the only truth that's going to change their eternity. That's the only truth that's going to give them peace everlasting. That's the only truth that's going to bring joy that supersedes, surpasses, and infiltrates every single circumstance. Who is your Macedonian person? Who is your jailer? Now, after the jailer saw God move in miraculous ways, his heart was opened up by the Holy Spirit. And he rushes in to Paul and Silas and asks them, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to have what you have? That sounds like an opportunity to me, right? Well, when opportunity knocks, we need to tell them about Jesus. Let's see what Paul and Silas do. Verse 31. They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, 
you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his household. So the jailer comes to them and asks them, what do I need to do? What, what do I need to change? And so Paul and Silas share the gospel with that jailer. Well, what does someone have to do? What does someone have to believe to be saved? Well, the Bible says real clearly what we have to do. What we have to believe. First, we need to believe and understand that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That our sin separates us from a God who loves us. But that God loved us so much and He demonstrated that, that love by sending Jesus, His Son, to come to live on this earth. He lived a perfect life and He gave that life for us on the cross. While He was on that cross, He received the wrath of God for your sin and my sin. That Jesus bled on that cross and His blood was an atonement for our sin, a covering he died on that cross and he was buried in the ground. But that Jesus didn't stay dead. Amen? That Jesus rose again on the third day, conquering death and sin and the enemy Satan and his control over all who would turn from sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. The invitation for the Macedonian man. The invitation for the jailer, the invitation for your friend, or maybe you in this place today, is that if you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you too can be saved. That's what you must do. That's what every person must do. And that's what they explained to him when he asked them, what must I do to be saved? The jailer and everyone in his household, capable of understanding their sin, turn from that sin, and put their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, it's interesting, it says he and his household. For us independent Americans, that's hard to understand sometimes. What we see on the mission field, especially in other cultures, is people will hear the gospel, and sometimes a whole household will legitimately hear the gospel and be saved. Sometimes whole tribes Whole towns hear the gospel. Each person determined in their heart to turn from sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. At the end of the day, a whole town will be saved. And that's what happens here. The jailer and his household are saved. Look at verse 33. He took them, this is the jailer, that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized he brought them into his house and set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. The jailer's eyes are opened as he's saved. He received the Holy Spirit and, and his eyes are opened to these men, Paul and Silas, standing in front of them. Listen, this is what they were doing. Let's not forget what they looked like. Let's not forget what they smelled like. They were beaten with rods. They were bruised and bleeding. They were in a jail and not like one of our jails. They would have been smelly, probably had refuse on their clothes, their body. These same men, in the middle of that, sharing the gospel. And now all of a sudden the jailer's eyes are opened to their need. 
they just shared the gospel with me. I now believe in God. I'm, I've been washed clean, and look at them. He demonstrates his faith in Jesus immediately by taking them into his house and washing their wounds. Exercising hospitality by giving them a meal. And of course, as we see demonstrated throughout the book of Acts, as a demonstration of their faith in Jesus, they're baptized by believer's baptism. And then, of course, they have a big party and eat. So they must have been Baptists, right? You know, people come to Fifth Street and need all the time. And I think it's interesting. You know, our kids often need help. Any of y'all have kids that need help? Any, ever? Okay, I'm just trying to get you, everybody waking up, make sure you're here. Will's got a bunch of kids. He's always helping them. He's a dad. That's his job. Sometimes our kids need help and don't want it, and sometimes they recognize it and they, they do it. Now, one time, oh, he's, uh, our brother Abijah has, went, has gone back to the hospitality room, but I'm going to embarrass him for a minute. So a while back, this is probably like two years ago, we were in the fellowship hall, and Abijah's on one of our folding chairs, and he's, he's real small, so he's trying to climb up in the chair because he wants to sit in the chair like a big boy, Right? We all want to, there's a point in our life when we want to sit in the chair like a big boy or big girl. Well, he kind of goes at it the wrong way. So he's going, he's trying to get in the chair backwards. So I didn't know this would be here. So this is perfect. So he's like kind of laying in the chair this way and pulling it back. And and eventually the chair starts to do this. And so by the time I look, there's Abijah pinned in the chair and he starts squealing because he can't get out. So his weight is actually trapping him in this chair, and he starts kind of, he's not really in pain. He's figured out that he was stuck. And so all I hear from him, from him is, help, help. And so I go over and push the chair down and get him out. So he, he, he knew he needed help, and he was asking for it, so I gave him. And then sometimes, just to let you all know, when I'm at the front door after church is over, both doors are wide open. And once in a while, y'all's kids will get loose from you. And you know when they get loose, you know where they want to go? They go sit down in a bench and wait patiently for you. No, that's not what they do. They run as fast as they can out the front doors. Do you know how many kids I grab running loose? And I, that's my job as a shepherd, I guess, to keep the sheep in the church. And they'll run and they don't ask for help and they don't want help because they, don't, they want to leave. So I'll grab them and pick them up and then I'll carry them for a while and then let them loose again. You know, people... God brings people into our life that will both directly ask you about your faith in Christ and then others that will ask you for help because they don't, need, they don't know that following Jesus is the real answer to their problems. We have to be ready to minister to both kinds of people. We need to be ready to both answer the question of the Philippian jailer that says, what do I got to do to be saved? What do I need to do to to have what you have? We also have to be ready for that person that God puts in our life that maybe is struggling in a marriage or a job or financially or or struggling with a a dependency on drugs or alcohol. And that that person might come to you and say, my life's a wreck and I just need some help. Yeah, they might need help with some of those things. But fixing those things is like fixing the symptoms of a disease. The real fix 
is the gospel. This gospel is what they need. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We need to be ready at all times. Both when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. And being ready is as simple as this. Preparing myself to share the gospel. Knowing what I'll say if an opportunity arises. And thank the Lord, you're a part of an awesome church here and we're going to train you to do that. We know how to do that here. And then second, and I would say just as dangerous, is start to pray and ask God to show you those opportunities. Because here's some, here, here's some philosophy for you, some theological philosophy. Ready? God desires for people to be saved. God wants the lost to be saved. God wants you and me to tell the lost about Jesus. So when we ask God to show us opportunities, you know what he does? He shows us opportunities. You know why I know that? Because we serve a God who tells the truth, who never lies. Everything he desires to happen, happens. And he wants people to be saved. So what I'm trying to tell you is the reality is, is there's people all around you all the time that need to hear the gospel, that are open to hearing the gospel. Most of the time, we just don't see them. We don't hear them. So the challenge for us, like Paul and Silas, was be ready first to give a defense. Be ready to tell people about Jesus. And two, pray and ask God to show you the jailer. Ask God to show you the one who's there, the one who's ready, the one who needs to hear the gospel. You know what's going to happen when you do that? God's going to do that. I've never had anybody tell me, you know, pastor, you told me to do this and it didn't happen. It'll, it, it could happen. You could pray today in this place and leave and go out to lunch and someone will probably be ready to hear the gospel. Or go to work tomorrow. Or call somebody on the phone. And all of a sudden, you're starting to see with spiritual eyes, with Jesus' eyes. And you see the need that people have to be saved. When we have faith in Jesus... We can have confidence in every circumstance. Boldness. Anybody who wants some boldness? When you hear about sharing the gospel, it's kind of frightening, right? It's kind of scary. You're kind of like, not me. I'm not gifted to do that. If you're a believer, you've been gifted to do it. That's the good news, okay? The second thing I want to tell you, and the final thing in my sermon, which we're going to see from Paul and Silas, is when we walk by faith in Jesus, we walk with confidence. Confidence. Look at the text, verse 35. When daylight came, the chief magistrates sent the police to say, release those men. The jailer reported those words to Paul. The magistrates have sent orders for you to be released, so come out and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they beat us in public without a trial, although we are Roman citizens and threw us in jail, and now they're going to send us away secretly? Certainly not. On the contrary, let them come themselves and escort us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates. 
They were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to appease them, and escorting them from the prison, they urged them to leave town. After leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house, where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters and departed. All right, so there's three, there's three people, three offices mentioned here. Magistrates, police, and jailer. The magistrates are like the judges. They're the ones that run the town. They have a lot of authority from Rome. They're the ones that looked at what was going on with Paul and Silas in the beginning. They're the ones, by their authority, they're the ones that ordered that they be beaten and put in jail. That's the magistrates. The police were the ones in this instance who actually arrested them and beat them with rods. The jailer is the one who stays in the jail. He oversees the prisoners. He has authority over everybody that's been arrested and incarcerated. So those are the three, the three people. So the magistrates, for one reason or another that we do not know, they decide, all right, release Paul and Silas. Tell them they're free to go, but tell them just to leave town. Like, I think, you know, they just don't want any trouble. Send these guys out. We don't want any issues. Just send them away, right? And so the jailer, I'm sure, is excited to come and find Paul and Silas in jail. By the way, where were Paul and Silas last night? Where were they? They were at the jailer's house. What did the jailer have to do after the big party? He had to put them back in jail. So they voluntarily were free, saved the jailer through the gospel, right? And then voluntarily went back to jail. And so they go to there in jail. The jailer comes and said, listen, they're letting you guys out. They said, just go in peace. This is awesome. He's so excited for them. Well, Paul and Silas, Paul especially, because, you know, Paul, man, he's, he's a tough guy, right? He's a tough guy. Paul ain't afraid of nobody. And so what does Paul say? No, I don't think so. We're Roman citizens. By law, you were supposed to have a trial before you beat us and put us in jail, and you didn't do any of that. Now the magistrates, they get real worried about this because Paul had rights as a Roman citizen. His right was a right to a trial. Now, if found guilty, they could do that stuff to him, but they didn't even have a trial. What they did to him was illegal. If Rome hears about these magistrates doing illegal things, Philippi can lose its brand as a colony of Rome. The magistrates could even be arrested and thrown in jail for what they did. So these guys are terrified. So they hear what, what Paul and Silas say, and, and they go immediately themselves to the jail and meet with Paul and Silas and say, listen, please, please just go in peace. We're sorry. Please go. Please just leave town. Like, they don't want any part of this. And so it says Paul and Silas leave the jail. They do leave town, but by way of visiting uh, Lydia and the household and the church plant. Now, the question is, why did Paul do that? That's really interesting. Well, the Bible doesn't say why he did it, but I think one good uh, sort of uh, observation I have on this part of the text is they had just planted the gospel in Philippi. People were hearing it. There was a small church at Lydia's house that was starting to grow. And if they weren't careful, there would be a bad testimony, a bad witness to the people of Philippi that these two men that came and shared this, this foreign message, look, they were bad. They were arrested. They were beaten. They were run out of town. Who, who would want to be a part of that? That, that can't be godly. And so by Paul 
making them give them the official apologies, demonstrating to the town that, that they had done nothing wrong. And that provides a good witness, a good testimony to the people of Philippi. And we learn later that that church grew and that many more people were saved. And you can read about that in the book of Philippians. Now, three points of application from this part of the text, and then, and then I'm going to wrap everything up. We learn three things from Paul and Silas that are not always easy for us to fulfill. The first one, obeying God and His authorities. Romans 13.1 says, Let everyone submit to the governing authorities. Since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. Church, we should obey the law. God put our government in place. God oversees and sustains our government. And we should, to the best of our ability, obey what the government calls us to do. Listen to Titus 3, 1 and 2. Remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. We should not only obey God, obey His government, but we should also get along with others and be kind and gentle. Now, there is a caveat. Some of you right now are getting mad. I can tell. We are to obey our governing authorities to the degree that we can obey them in accordance with what God has called us to do in the Word. I find almost always in my life that I can fulfill and obey the law without contradicting what the Word tells me to do with my life. Almost always. There are some times, and there may be some times when, in the future when God calls us to disobey, and we're going to do that. Acts 5.29, Peter and the apostles were called by their government, the Jews at that time in Jerusalem, to stop preaching the word of God. They let them go, they had arrested them, and then they let them go, and they said, we're going to let you go, but you, gotta stop. You, you need to stop preaching this message about Jesus. And their answer, Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than people. So that's from the word which teaches us this tension between both obeying the authorities that God has put in front of us, above us, at the same time, always obeying God and His Word. That's the first thing that Peter and si or Paul and Silas show us here. The second thing is that God has called us to play offense. Church, we have been playing defense for way too long. The Great Commission was communicated to us by Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. And everything Jesus commanded us to do was offensive, like offense, like in football or basketball, offense. We are called to go. We are called to baptize. We are called to teach. We were not called to hide. We were not called to be afraid. We were not called to be silent. Everything He called us to do is offensive. And here's his promise in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Do you know what that means? That means as we leave this place and go out into this world proclaiming the message of Christ, no one can stop us. 
people will be saved. The church, universal church in the world, all the believers in all the world will continue to grow and nothing can stop that. How do I know that? Isaiah 14, 27, the Lord of armies himself has planned it. Therefore, who can stand in his way? It is his hand that is outstretched. So who can turn it back? No one. No one can stand in our way. If God has placed someone in your life and prepared their heart to hear the gospel, it doesn't matter what circumstances you're in. You proclaim the gospel to that person, that person will be saved in accordance with God's will. Nothing can stop that. No one can stop that. Finally and last, be confident in Jesus no matter what. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and sound judgment. And so, church, will we leave this place today? Will we pray and praise and prepare our hearts for God to move in the midst of each and every one of our circumstances? When opportunity knocks, will we open the door and will we share the gospel? And will we proceed with confidence, unafraid, aware of God's promises and God's power and God's desire to use us in magnificent ways? In just a minute, we're going to have our time of response And we're going to have everybody stand and we're going to sing a song. If you're unfamiliar with this part, this is a moment of decision. It's a time for you to respond to what God's doing in your heart. Are you that jailer? Do you need to be saved? Come forward. I'm going to sit and pray with you and show you the way to Christ. Or do you need to come up and pray maybe for a lost friend or family member or relative and just pray today and and start now asking God to open up an opportunity a door for the gospel in the heart of that person. Or pray for him to open up your eyes to see those who need the gospel. Would you all stand with me? Let's just use this time to respond by faith in what God has done in our lives, what he is doing right now by faith. Lord God, I pray over this time. I pray, Lord, as we respond to however your spirit is moving in our hearts. I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to take a step of faith. Whether it's that first step towards salvation in Jesus, or that step of faith to share the gospel, or the step of faith to be bold in the way we live our lives. Whatever you're calling us to do, help us in this moment to pursue that by faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.